Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you here. My name is Ollie Richards, and if this is the first time listening, well, welcome. This is your, I guess this is your, what is this? It's your twice weekly language learning motivational pit stop, I guess. <laughs> Let's call it that. Twice a week, I give you episodes uh, about language learning, different tips and tricks, ideas and experience from the eight or so languages that I speak and have learned along the way. And I sometimes, occasionally, interview very special guests, such as on the episode today where I'm speaking with Gabriel Weiner, the author of the very popular book, Fluent Forever. So, very excited to be bringing you that. A few things before we start. First of all, please subscribe to the podcast. You can do it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Would hate for you to miss any of the really great uh, conversations we've got coming up uh, in, in uh, future episodes. You can also see a complete back catalogue of episodes. There's 200 and, well, including this one, 213 of them on all language learning topics imaginable. To get that, please go to IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com. You can click on the podcast tab at the top of the uh, top of the website and you'll see our big catalogue there. There's Everything from uh, strategies for time management and fluent speaking and listening comprehension and memory to a lot more detailed stuff like flashcard theory, how best practices for your vocabulary notebooks and all kinds of things like that. Lastly, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, the people who are, who are really, I have to thank for keeping the lights on. They are italki and they are the place where you can get language teachers of every shape and size, whatever language you're learning, whatever nationality you're looking for, they have them. And if you'd like to get a free lesson, you can go to IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash free lesson. All right, then let's get into today's conversation with Gabriel Weiner. Now, uh, a couple of episodes ago, more than that, in fact, back in episode 188, I recorded a an episode about, uh, well, it was, it was responding to Charlotte's question about the benefits of monolingual flashcards. Now, I wrote, I recorded a long rambling response to that, and it turns out that subsequently this was uh, interpreted by some people, I think, as a perhaps a kind of a criticism, if you like, of, of Gabe's methods and what he writes about in Fluent Forever, his book, and on his website. And of course, it was nothing of the sort. It was simply my uh, my reaction to the question as posed. But it had the uh, the, the 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 happy. Uh, consequence of starting a little dialogue between uh, Gabe and I on uh, on both of our blogs about this, and we began, you know, Gabe actually wrote a, a blog post response to that, which I'll link to in the show notes, and it started us chatting about these various methods and led to the conversation you're going to hear today. So I'm really happy to be chatting with uh, with Gabe, asking him a lot about his his uh, his language background, what he's working on, and he also talks about a very very exciting project he's working on, which is working on an app to replace Anki. So if you're curious about that and you want to hear more, then uh, well, what are we waiting for? Let's get right into it. I give you Gabriel Weiner. All right, I'm here with Gabe Weiner. Gabe, thanks for taking the time to chat. Thanks for having me. Right, we've got a lot to talk about, man. It's uh, we uh, yeah. we haven't. Um, we were just saying before we started that we haven't had the chance to chat much uh, up to this point. So I know we've got a lot of areas of mutual interest. So it's been it's going to be yeah. good to to dive into those. Uh, so for the benefit, first of all, of those people who uh, who maybe are not so familiar with you or your work, could you give us a little bit of a little bit of a linguistic run through of uh, of your just 
how my stuff works. Um, Sure. Uh, Let's see. This whole thing kind of started in 2010. Um, Let's see. I wrote a book in 2014, or at least it came out in 2014, and that's where my blog is coming from and all that. Um, The source of the book is from 2010. Uh, I had this experience of um, screwing myself over. In French, <laughs> uh, I I had already done. Uh, I'd learned a couple of languages through immersion. Um, I did, did the uh, Middlebury Vermont language school programs for German um, twice, uh, and then I went over to Italy to learn Italian. Uh, and is that because it didn't work the first time, or because you wanted to go back for more? Because <laughs> I wanted to go back for more. Yeah, uh, I, I got to like B one or B two by the first uh, after seven weeks of this program. They're just phenomenal programs, mm. uh, and I had nothing. I, I walked in there with like zero words of German. Uh, they're just such good programs. Um, and then I wanted to get up to to C one, C two, and so I, I got up to C one by the end of the second summer. Um, Went to Italy, didn't have as good of an experience. I mean, I had an amazing experience. Italy is an amazing country, but like from a learning standpoint, uh, in in Middlebury, people are forbidden from speaking English, and Italy, they're not. So, yeah. Uh, from a learning standpoint, the Vermont experience was sort of better, and so I wanted to go back to Vermont for French. Um, and I didn't know French, but I wanted to. Uh, they had a level one and a half for false beginners. And I thought, that seems probably about right, given my Italian background. I can probably study a little bit of French before I get there. Like, I want to be level one and a half. Uh, and so they had an online placement test, and I just cheated as, as hard as I could. Because I figured, you know, zero French plus Google Translate equals, like, level one and a half. Right. Um, and unfortunately, I cheated too well. And so they sent me, uh, three months before the program started, they said, uh, hey, congratulations, you've gotten to the intermediate level, level two. Uh, in, you know, once you arrive, we'll make sure, we'll do an interview with you entirely in French and make sure, you know, that you didn't do something stupid like cheat. <laughs> and so I, I panicked and I started looking around online and I found um, Anki. I found spaced repetition. Yeah. Um, and I saw what people were doing with it and I, I knew from previous failures with learning language for myself that, like, if I were to use translations there, I would be stuck in the same stuff that I did before. Um, I, I really didn't react well to, to learning language through translation. Uh, and I, I saw how well it worked in Middlebury, where I was like, okay, if I use zero words of English, I can learn this thing really fast. Um, and so I tried, sort of adapted Anki to use with um, uh, exclusively in French. Uh, initially, I was learning simple picture words, you know, here's a chat, you know, <laughs> here's a chien, uh, dog, a cat, and stuff. And I was just like using pictures, and eventually I built up a vocabulary and started interacting those words together and saying, okay, well, you know, the dog's chasing the cat, like, let's start dealing with this thing. Um, and using closed deletions, using fill-in-the-blank sentences. Hmm. Um, but still keeping it exclusively in French. And uh, I had some French background going into this in the sense of, um, I used to be an opera singer. Um, and so I had French pronunciation down already, which was a, yeah. a nice head start. Uh, and so I did this Anki thing for three months, uh, for an hour a day. And I showed up in this program, and I hadn't spoken any French before this interview, and I found that I could speak French. And it totally knocked, like, just surprised the shit out of me. It was just like, <laughs> what? I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I know what to say back. And it wasn't fluent, and it wasn't comfortable, but it was like, I, I'm thinking in French at this point. Uh, and the... The interviewer was like, oh, you speak French. You shouldn't be in the intermediate level. You should be in the advanced level. And so, like, they bumped me up one more level. I read a bunch of books, and I hit C1 by the end of that summer. Um, and I sort of came out of that, like, reeling, being like, what What was this? What just happened? Like, this was, this is new. Uh, and so I started writing about it. 
And that turned into an article that went viral on Lifehacker and turned into a book and then turned into this whole life, <laughs> which is now just de devoted towards making language learning products and things. Oh, fantastic. So, that. So, you, that, so that all happened to you in quite a short space of time, didn't it? That's, Super uh, short. Yeah, because uh, I, I, um, I remember reading that you have a background in music, which I do as well. I and mean, I, 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 I trained as a, as a pianist in, uh, in, uh, in London. Mm. And, um, of course, not much singing involved in, in that, but, um, although we did do some singing, but I wondered whether, um, whether as a singer you went through, you had language classes or, I mean, you must have had some familiarity with the languages. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um with, no, as formal, a singer, no you... formal instruction or? How did it work? There's, there's some. Um, as a singer, the the technical requirements uh, for my for my degree were um, I needed to take one semester of each language and two semesters of uh, one semester of French, Italian, German, and then an additional semester of one of them. Um, I passed out of my German requirement because I just because I, I, Middlebury. Um, the French one I took at a summer school. Uh, I took one semester of community college, and so that's that was sort of the background there uh, and. In terms of how much you get out of a thing like that, I felt like not very much. Um, but we did have uh, diction courses. And so we took, in addition to those things, we took uh, French pronunciation for a half semester, Italian pronunciation, German pronunciation, English pronunciation. Uh, and so my my sense of the phonetic system of French was solid by then. Um, so, like, yeah, that, that was the, the sort of language background at that point. Well, I feel like, like at that point... Oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I guess, because when, when you mentioned English diction, I mean, uh, the way that you pronounce words when you're singing English is not the way that you pronounce them when you're speaking English. So I wonder yes. how, to what extent you, when you first started speaking French, you spoke like a, like an opera singer. Like an opera singer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, totally. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely feasible. Um, I'm trying to think. I felt like to some extent, like for one, all the vowels and the consonants are going to be the same. They're going to be uh, over-enunciated, um, but still the sounds are going to be, I'll be familiar with the sounds. If you're coming from a singing yes. background, you'll be familiar with all the, the appropriate sounds at that yeah. point. Um, and that's the main, that's the big task, isn't it? Because, you know, yeah. reception has to come before production. Right? So you have to, I think for a lot of people, when they're trying to get to grips with the pronunciation of a language, the issue is not so much that they can't say it, but they can't hear it. Um, yeah. whereas, you know, if you've been through a whole, uh, musical training program, you know, you spent so much time listening to the music that, uh, that, you know, you should have a fairly good understanding of the kind of ballpark, how, you know, how stuff should be pronounced and how stuff should sound. Well, the nice thing with the opera background is that aside from just having classes where someone is telling you what you're supposed to do, there's a lot of interaction. Uh, and so you get to have sort of this coach there where you say a line in French and they're like, mm, no, not quite. Right. Uh, you, you said, you know, bonjour and I want bonjour. And, and then they're like, okay, so how about bonjour? And they're like, oh, almost, but bon, bonjour. And you get this, this back and forth. Um, and that's, I think, primarily where you kind of learn it as opposed to just saying you know here are the items of french pronunciation uh, i think you get it through this interaction right so um let's talk about the, the methodology then because you, I mean, you've had a fantastic experience sure. i mean i i've looked at the middlebury courses and they look they look wonderful um they're not cheap yeah. for sure no they're not um, <laughs> they have good financial aid though actually that's it's an important thing for people to realize like they look at this thing like the price tags at this point are like ten thousand yeah. dollars maybe more yeah. Um, but if you apply as early as you can, like they will pay for most of that. Oh, really? So like, that's just a good thing for, for, for people who are out there who look at this and oh, they balk wow. at the price. Like yeah. it, it could be cheap. Yeah. Um, 
it's a it's a fantastic experience to have to have gone through by by all accounts. I mean, I'd love to do it myself just to, just to see. Uh, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like uh, like much better than than going to live abroad on so many different levels because you know the number of times I've been to abroad to learn a language and ended up just fighting not to speak English with 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 people, and then yeah. finding you know trying to find people to talk to and so you know so you I guess you you go into this place and you just get uh, like you say you're banned from speaking English. I mean, it sounds. It sounds like a, like like an experience. Uh, I mean, is yeah. it, how, without going through it, it's difficult to say whether it would work for me. But it, but you know, uh, seven weeks, right? Uh, there's seven weeks for the um, the languages that share the same alphabet as English, and then eight weeks for the ones that don't. Right. So at the very least, you get almost two months of very intensive uh, exposure. It sounds it sounds yes. great. So then, in terms of like your uh, what I, what I'd like to ask is you, how you think about language learning now in terms of methodology i mean uh, i know obviously you have you've written a book and you and you you, you speak about um different approaches to learning on, on on your website um but how do you if you were to sort of sit down with someone and uh, you know have a cup of coffee and, and and try to explain to them how an adult can learn a language what are the kind of big milestones or big uh sort of uh buckets that you have to touch on um i would i look at language as a, as a memory game uh, primarily, okay. that the the biggest um, I would say two two main things. Well, a lot of main things, but two two sort of organizing principles. That um, there's a general myth that uh, children are really 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 good at learning languages, and adults are terrible at it. And um, there's a lot of reasons for why people believe this thing. Because uh, you go to France and you're struggling with French, and you've been working on it for years, and you see this five year old who speaks better French than you, and you're like, ah, like you didn't work. Hmm. I worked and you're, you're correcting my grammar. Like what, what the hell? Um, but it's like an optical illusion in some sense. Like that kid has had 20,000 hours of French mm-hmm. and you've had like 200. And of course that kid's beating you at French. Um, but there are, there are some really nice studies sort of, uh, isolating that and saying, okay, well, what happens if we control for time and you take a kid with 500 hours of exposure, an adult with 500 hours of exposure, you know, who wins? And it's the adult that wins every time. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like we're 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 smarter than kids. Like there's 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 we've learned to be smarter. Like that's the whole point of growing up. Uh, and so we we actually share. Um, we never lose that ability to pick up language. We have a really really good facility for it. Um, and from my standpoint, the only thing in in anyone's way as an adult is is time and is memory. Uh, is that by the time that you if you're take if you're learning a language an hour a week or, you know, two hours a week, or you're taking a class for three hours a week even, uh, and you do this thing for a semester, like, by the end of that semester, you've forgotten the first half of the semester. And then you take your second semester, and you've forgotten the first semester. And then you've taken your third semester, and you've likely forgotten, you know, much of much of what you've learned. Um, and so if you can fix that, if you can recall every single thing that you want and keep it in there, then your brain's going to do just fine in terms of piecing that into, uh, into fluent language. Uh, I think our that that machine that machinery is that that kids use is just as active, if not more active, as an adult. Um, and so my approach is really all about um, dealing with that memory issue. And so I uh, it's I sort of build it in layers. Um, I, I build the sort of uh, spelling and pronunciation layer first um, because I usually bring up this example from Hungarian. Uh, the word for camera is finkép, and it's like, what? 
Yeah. It's it's a word that you cannot retain if you haven't had some familiarity with Hungarian. Like it's just yeah, it it's sounds like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's not unique to Hungarian. Like that's in every single language you're going to have sounds that are unfamiliar and they're going to be make those words very very difficult to remember. We've all had experiences of like walking into a party and uh, we meet people with familiar names and then someone suddenly someone's like uh, says their name and you're like I, I don't know what you just said. Like can you repeat that? And they'll repeat it as much as that you ask them to, and you still won't recall their name because it's involving sounds that you're not familiar with. Uh, and so, from my standpoint, if like that's the first barrier, if you can't hear it, then you won't be able to remember it very well. Mm. And so, you take care of that, and that's been my last four years of of work has been making that easier. Has been developing these these apps for that thing. Um, but once you take care of the pronunciation level, like that hasn't solved everything. That's just gotten rid of the first barrier. And so the next parts are about um, how can you most efficiently build associations into your words? Um, there's an example I tend to use with like, with like a word like dog, for instance. Like um, I have thousands, maybe millions of images in my head or, or word associations with the word dog. Uh, dog is associated with every dog I've ever seen. Uh, it's associated with uh, words like cat and pet and tail and bark. It's, it has its own grammar, like, you know, I walked my dog. It's a strange mm. construction. All that stuff is built into the word dog, and then as soon as I say something like, oh yeah, well, the Hungarian word for dog is kucho, then, like, it's as if I told you something, but I haven't, like, you have very little associated with the word kucho. Right now you have, like, one association built in. If I say kucho, you don't necessarily think of your childhood pet or... Uh, you know, the Hungarian word for tail, because you don't even know it yet. Like, like all these sorts of, like, how would you make those associations unless you decide, okay, well, I'm going to consciously build them. So you and mean it's, going... it's an abstract, as, as a word, it's an abstract thing with no, with no particular meaning for you other than the sound and the sound that it happens to be, the way it happens to sound or the way it happens to be written. There's nothing beyond that. Very one-dimensional right. type. It's a, it's a and it, it has it has a single association uh, to the English to the sound of the English word dog, not even to the meaning of it. Mm. You've just associated two sounds. I say dog, you say cucho. You know, I say cucho, you think dog, but you don't think about like fur or like brown or cute or anything like that. Like those yeah. are not built in. Uh, those are those you have to make a jump to get to. Uh, and so, from my standpoint, what I'm what I'm looking for is okay. Well. If I want kucha to be associated with a word like farok, tail, or to be just associated with images of dogs, then I want that to be what I'm looking at on a daily basis. Uh, and so uh, I use spaced repetition to kind of build that stuff in um, and say, okay, well, I want to embed this in a sentence and use fill in the blanks so that this new this word kucha is associated with the words that usually go around dog. Okay. Uh, sure. but, but in Hungarian, and then also associated with images. So what you what you've described is 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 uh, if I'm understanding correctly, is basically a, a very uh, heavy focus on vocabulary acquisition uh, as uh, at the. I use the vocabulary acquisition in in the service of uh, of grammar in some sense. Uh, I I only learn grammar in the context. Only is a strong word. 80% of the grammar that I'm learning is in the context of sentences and is in the context of stories. Sure. Um, and so if I'm going to be learning something like how to conjugate, you know, uh, walk, you know, I walked my dog in the past. Yesterday I walked my dog. Then I'm not going to be learning things in the abstract like I 
blank and then conjugate the verb to walk past tense. Like from my standpoint, that's, that's sort of dry and very, very abstract. Um, whereas if I do the exact same thing, but I just stick in the word dog afterwards, I walked my dog, or I have yesterday, I walked my dog, um, then I can do basically the exact same exercise, but I can attach it to a story. I can stick in a picture of, uh, you know, a dog getting walked. Mm-hmm. And if I have a fill in the blank uh, where I'm doing I blank my dog, you know, in parentheses it says to walk and then, uh, you know, past and it has a picture of someone walking their dog. In some sense, it looks like an abstract grammatical exercise again. But on another sense, you're using it to tell a story. Uh, and I think that that makes a huge difference, both in terms of how it's internalized and how easy it is to retain. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're seeing it within context, and that context is uh, is linked to something like a story, which is obviously, you know, in a way, it's kind of a surrogate for lived experience that you don't have, right? I mean, exactly. You, know, you yeah. can't you can't remember you don't have that experience of uh, walking a dog in your Hungarian life, but you can get close to that, perhaps, or or you can substitute that some way by actually having the story and having the pictures and the images. Yeah, that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So we, we've 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 gone we've gone quite deep, quite deep in already, haven't sure. we? I'd, I'd like to just pull it pull it back just a second and uh, talk about that that part of the of the process. I've been thinking a lot about you know I've just been in, 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 a, in um at the Montreal Language Festival and uh, I've been uh, these festival these these events are always 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 interesting because you just kind of i find it's the only time that i get to sort of take a step back and actually think about learning in general on a level that you don't when you're kind of heads down immersed in your work and and mm. um, we had lots of discussions uh you know a lot of, a lot of language people came together and talked about their approaches to learning and all that stuff so i'm very um it's it's on my mind at the moment so um ha- how does to what extent is the Talk to me about the link between your experience at Middlebury in the immersion programs and this this the the focus on vocabulary that you've uh, that you've just described. I mean, did is it did you learn? And and, and the, the the sort of supposition in the question is that 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 Middlebury was extremely effective for you and and it helped you learn very very quickly. So, is the method that you're describing linked to what you learned at Middlebury? What what's the connection there? And, and sure, and sure, sure, not, sure. Good not? question. Um, yes, I mean, definitely they, they are linked, uh, and they're linked in the sense that I, I wasn't aware that you could pick up a language within that language. Like, I, I came into Middlebury thinking, well, I mean, of course, like, I'm in level one, like, of course they're going to give me some English here, right? Like, how are they supposed to, how am I supposed to learn anything without any German? Like, how are you going to do this to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and... I quickly realized, like, oh, no, they're, they're really not going to give me one word of English. Like, <laughs> I have nothing, and you're going to give me nothing in my native language. And so, and yet I, I watched myself learn. I watched everyone else around me learn. I mean, there was there was no one who got left behind. What was the curve like? Is it a gradual curve? Because I, I imagine it must, in many ways, it must be like a hockey stick sort of thing, where it's, like, really hard at first. And then, because at first you just don't, you don't understand anything, and there's no, there's no mediation of that, of that lack of understanding. But then there must come a point where you stuff just starts to click, right? So is it is it like a kind of reverse mean, hockey stick type thing, or no? It's just hard the whole time, right? Okay. I mean, it's just it's really hard. The like it's it's hard initially. Uh, it's hard in different ways all the way through. There's a thing they talk about called the black hole um, that happens at around week five, where you forget you 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 hit points where you you've you've been out of English for so long 
that you lose the ability to articulate, like to think in English very well. And so you start running into sentences where you want to say a concept and you realize you don't remember how to say it in your native language and you don't know how to say it in your target language. And it's the most spectacularly stressful thing in the world. Right. Where you're just like, I am broken. Uh, initially, you're, you're constantly sort of thinking in English and yet you have this, this, this gag order on you where you're like, I, I, I want to say this thing and I can't. And that's stressful. Um, and then it's sort of this gradual shift in between that stress to this black hole stress. And then eventually you get past it. I would say, yeah, past week five, once you get past that, that point where you've hit that black hole stress and it's gotten a little bit better and you can like, okay, now I can really kind of think in German. Um, it gets a little bit easier, but all the way through, I would say the, um, the stress of immersion is, is really, is, is very particular. Like it's, it's, uh, it's difficult and it doesn't go away. Um, when you're really not allowed to express yourself in your native language, it's interesting because stress is often thought of one of the, as one of the, the, the big counter indicators of, uh, of 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 efficient learning of, of effective mm. learning. You know, good point. Um, yeah. But having but having said that, you know, with, with language learning being just you know such a, an exercise in just building up that knowledge base and that that the, that that threshold and that that that, that comfort existing in that world. Um, you know, it, it absolutely stands to reason that, um, that, 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 that immersion will get you there, even if it hurts a little bit, a bit along the way. <laughs> Def- yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I, one of the things that was sort of remarkable about the Middlebury thing was watching other people. Like, you could watch your own experience and be like, wow, this is a weird thing I'm going through. But yeah. uh, you can, then you're looking around, and you're like, wait, everyone is advancing at the same level here. And it's a very, very rapid level. Um, I never actually answered, uh, I don't think, your question in terms of its relationship to what I currently do. Um, the, I think the thing of, of, of seeing how that was possible, I think, was, was what sort of led to, to what I do right now. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that, like, wait, I actually could do this without English was a new concept to me. Uh, and then in, in playing with it, I started realizing, wait, this is working. Like, let, let's keep trying this. Let's see how far we can go. Uh, and, and that's kind of where these, my method stuff came, methodology came from. Okay, so this, so am I right in thinking that you that you that you enjoy having an approach with flashcards whereby you like to keep it one hundred percent in the target language? On the flashcards, yes. During the creation process, I'm okay with using translations. Okay, I see. And and so that is that's kind of born out of your your experience with the immersion and the fact that you you learned so effectively without without. I mean, are you essentially, it's your thought process essentially saying, okay, well, I didn't, you know, in, in my most, it, when I learned these languages, I did it without English. Therefore, why use English now? That was the I'm, initial is that, source. Is that an of accurate it? characterization? Yes, yes. That was definitely the initial source of why I, I went in that direction. Um, afterwards, when I started writing the book, it, the nice thing about the whole book writing process is it's like, okay, here you have a year and a half to figure out, to like sit and do research and figure out why did this thing work? Uh, and so I started going through text, uh, do, through a ton of research on how memory works and stuff. Mm. Uh, and it started building a theoretical basis for, wait, no, why did this work so well? And maybe I could, uh, I, I could find changes. And I, as it turns out, I did. I found ways of, of looking at the research and saying, oh, wait, wait, here's something I'm missing. There's another way to do this that's even more effective. Um, so at this point, I, I stand by this thing from a, from a research standpoint and from a sort of like theory of memory standpoint. Um, back then, it was entirely out of, well, I tried this Middlebury thing, it seems to work, let's try it again. 
Sure. So. So yeah. Okay. We um we've had a couple of conversations on 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 blog post comments, haven't we? About 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 flashcards and there's a a few people of uh, a few of our of our mutual uh, readers have kind of uh, tried to kind of provoke Get us in a way, a yeah. provoke us in a way into into sort of uh, debating the best way to use flashcards and and um yeah. and this is I think this stemmed from an episode I did a, a while ago on my podcast, uh, which in which I reacted to the idea that um that you should create you should have images on your flashcards and mm. that those and the flashcards should be only in the l2s only in the target language and um yeah we, we, we've sort of gone back and forth a little bit on that about that on, on in the in, in blog posts um but i think my my over my over my overarching feeling is that because I'm a big proponent of flash, I love using flashcards as well. They've helped me massively, yeah. and um, and I think that our our two approaches are um, are almost you're almost at a point where there's a distinction without a difference because you know we're both doing very very similar things. So we, we I, yeah. I, I I kind of want to go down that rabbit hole and talk about you know should we should you you know the kind of different techniques and approaches to flashcards, but at the same time it's very personal, isn't it? And and um, I think the best you know as as people that talk about languages and language learning the best thing we can do is put these ideas out there and then people kind of you know they try different things they you know they they try to understand the processes the rationale behind what what we're doing and then they come to that they draw their own conclusions i've gotten some emails from from readers where uh they've they've sent me this thing where they're like i've been doing this thing i've been like reading the asimil books or something and it's been working so well and i like i'm speaking the language and stuff but then i read your book and it's suggesting things that are slightly different should i throw away all the stuff that's working really well yeah i'm like no like (laughs) do what works like if you're liking this thing like no like like i think that um People are sometimes so caught up in like what is the most optimal way to do something that they, yeah. they can sometimes ignore the thing that's working in front of them. Yeah, and people and people, people that's want, not optimal for them. Yeah. People want certainty, and I, and I and I find myself doing I find myself wanting this as well. I mean, I I you know I'm a big fan of Steve Kaufman's videos, and I've watched I've watched Steve Kaufman for hours because I just sure. I love the way he, um, he 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 articulates himself. It, it really resonates with me, and and I find myself watching his videos, and um, and I, I find myself looking for for the truth. If you like, mm. such, such such as it is, and um, even at this stage, with all my, you know, I, I should be at the point now where I'm, I I can trust my own experience enough mm. to not give a shit about whatever anyone else says, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But and yet I still find myself looking for those grains of wisdom, uh, specifically for, I guess it's for the things that I'm not, like the, the areas of language learning that I'm not so good at, you know. So for example, if anyone. If if someone were to write an article about how to learn Portuguese, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't read it because I learned Portuguese and I don't feel like I did it badly. I'm fairly successful at it, so that's sort of fine. I don't want to read an article about how to learn Portuguese. However, if someone come came along and wrote an article on how to progress beyond intermediate Cantonese without knowing Chinese characters, it's like man, that's give it to me now you know that's what yeah. i want that yeah. you know because that's that's the thing that i'm struggling with so um so if I, I can i i always try to remind myself of, the, of, uh, of what it's like to be in a position trying to get get ahead in your get started in your first language your first foreign language and figure out figuring out what it's like and it's just a huge black hole it's a huge unknown isn't it of all these of all these um of all these different possibilities and different methods and approaches and and you know not knowing having not 
been round done one lap yet of the language yeah. learning game, yeah. like not knowing exactly what's right for you. And I think <clears throat> I mean, on that point, I, mean, I certainly feel like I, as someone that um, you know, I write about language, I talk about language learning a lot. I mean, I, I think I probably do sometimes. Um, I probably am guilty of sort of oversimplifying things and 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 and. and in a way, uh, because if you talk about language learning all day, every day, you have to, I think you're, there's always this big danger of, uh, of, ha- of having to add 20 caveats to everything that you say, which just, just yes. doesn't make for compelling listening or reading, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but everything that, we've, that you've said, everything that, the conversation that we could have about flashcards, it's, for example, since yeah. we're on that topic, it has to inevitably come with all these, all these different kind of caveats. You know, chief among which is like, whatever we say, do what works for you. That's the most important thing. Right? Right. So I often, I often wondered, you know, uh, the extent to which like we, we kind of help people with the, with the advice that we give whilst also driving them crazy by, by suggesting that, that <laughs> this is the right way to do things. Sure. Now, it's, it's one thing that I, I, I was actually pretty happy about with um, how the, the book evolved uh, is that initially there was a, there's a tendency to write a how-to book where you're just like, do this. It works. Do it. Um, and eventually the book just turned into the story of how memory works and just here's here's what we know about memory and based on this like here's here's an approach that takes that into account but like i just told you what the how memory works so like you can change this like you have the ability the flexibility here to say you know if this is true and it is like this is how what we know about the brain like yeah, Gabe's approach makes some sense, but I want to do this thing, and that makes more sense. And it's like, well, great, go do that thing. Like that's as long as it's consistent with like humans and how we learn things, then anything you do in that realm is going to be effective for you. Uh, and, and it allowed me to shift the focus from here's what you must do to let's talk about this whole concept of learning sure. and and address it that way. And and it 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 just eased a lot of the pressure in terms of. Um, being prescriptive. Uh, I mean, my method has changed drastically since the book came out. I keep writing new blog posts of being like, hey, I just figured out this new thing. Like, let's try this. Like, let's learn entirely with tutors. Throw away your grammar books. Like, let's let's see how that works. And all of them are still consistent with how we learn. How has your method changed uh, since the book? Um, initially, the book was very segmented. It was learn pronunciation, um, learn 625 words using pictures alone. Um, I have this frequency list that's entirely concrete words or concrete uh, verbs, things like that. Um, then go to your grammar book and learn a bunch of sentences with uh, closed deletions, with, with fill in the blanks, uh, and pick up the rest of the grammar of the language. Like mm-hmm. Pick up the grammar of the language because you're not learning any with the words. Um, and then start playing around. Uh, get more words if you want them. Go start reading books. Go watch TV with subtitles in the target language or not. Um, like Start talking to people. Like Do the, the rest of the, the place part, the, the fun part, yeah. uh, as it were, or the, the extra fun part. Um, and then, uh, Japanese came along and, and kicked my ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Japanese uh, does that to people. It does. It does. And, and also I, I was in a, a Russian sentence. I need, I could not just learn vocabulary, uh, cause I would, I needed to learn grammar. And so I pulled out, a, uh, I, I pulled out an italki tutor and I was like, Hey, uh, I have zero words of Japanese. This is the word list I want to use. I want to learn these 625 words. Mm. Uh, the first one is white. Can you help me come up with a sentence that is personal for white? And like we would just go and create sentences for every single one of these words, and I would learn 
all of my words in the context of those sentences that are personal and re uh, relate to memories of my own. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is working like way faster than than my previous method. Uh, and so I've, I've basically combined the grammar book part and the vocabulary part, and I'm just doing all the grammar vocabulary together. Okay. Um, I still, rec I mean, the, the old method certainly works, and there's definitely, I've gotten a lot of readers sending things back saying, hey, I'm like, I can speak now two, three languages. And I'm like, whoa, that's, you've been busier than I have. Um, <laughs> but uh, this, these new approaches, certainly at least for me, uh, interacting with a tutor and having that, like, being able to sort of speak and develop sentences from the very first day has been uh, really valuable from uh, I, I retain a lot more yeah absolutely uh, so is Japanese the language you're working on at the moment or is that a previous project or yes uh, it was Japanese then I had to take a, a eight-month break to learn Spanish for my wedding and then Japanese again <laughs> so you're back to Japanese yeah is it uh, is that your first uh, non non-european language um Yes, I mean, unless you're how you're, it depends on how you're counting Hungarian and Russian because Hungarian is I don't know if, I mean it's in Europe but yeah okay <laughs> as far as I'm concerned it's from Mars like <laughs> yeah. how has um how has uh, Japanese differed from the other languages you've learned in terms of your, your learning experience um, the memory burden of learning the characters is spectacular uh, it, it easily doubles the difficulty of that language. Um, having a character system that is is that complex and is com so unrelated to the sounds or meanings of the words in in, in many ways uh, is is unique. I mean, there's there's nothing like it. Um, I mean, except for the other languages that use the same character set. So yeah. uh, it, it it introduces just memory problems that are that are are really special and and unique to that thing. Uh, for this this Kickstarter thing that that I'm developing now, people are like, oh, why aren't you supporting Japanese for your first languages? And I'm like, well. Because we need to develop a whole new system for that. Like, yes, I want, like, I have to use this thing for my own Japanese at some point. But like, that's going to take development because they're they're just different. They're different languages than than anything else out there. Yeah, um, I have a feeling we, oh, we could talk about that for 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 a very long time. But I want to pick you up sure. on the Kickstarter that you've mentioned because um, yeah. the well, why don't you tell us about it and what's 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 behind it? What is it about? And uh, yeah, sure. Um, one of the, the key chunks of my method is that you are building your own flashcards, um, that that's in some sense necessary, uh, that that's the learning stage. Um, flashcards tend to be really, really good for reviewing information that you've learned and challenging for learning that information in the first place. Um, and so the learning stage for me uh, and in this method is basically you choosing a sentence to learn or a word to learn and you having a choice in that thing, like you deciding, I want that word. No, I want this word. I want this chunk of grammar. Like that choice is really important. Um, then you deciding, uh, picking out images that fit with that, that sentence, that story or with that word. Um, and then you forming that into flashcards in Anki. Uh, and what that does is it creates this sort of personal experience with each of your sentences, uh, that makes it them easier to retain. And then when you come back and review them, uh, you're, you're remembering that experience, that creation experience. Um, of, for instance, looking on Google Images and seeing like 30 memes for, for Spanish dogs or something. You're like, oh, haha, -ha. like that's not what I expected to see. Like that's funny. And then every time you see that flashcard again, you feel that haha -ha moment. Like, oh, that, that, I remember that was fun to make. Mm -hmm. um, that works really well. The problem is that building flashcards takes time. Uh, and one of the, the chief 
objections to my stuff is like, whoa, that's that's a lot of work. Like, I don't want to go make five thousand flashcards. Um, and it's a, it's a solid objection. Uh, much of this, much of that process, while I think the process is valuable, much of that process is not. Like you typing in the word into Google Trans, uh, Google Images, like the typing process, not super useful. Um, you taking an image and like dragging it into the box in Anki, not super useful. You finding an, a recording and dragging it around, like also not useful. Uh, not, so to ton- not to mention the bit where you have your decks made and you're trying to import it into the app on your phone and you can't figure out how the hell to do it and uh, and it just <laughs> happened to be yes. yesterday. Well, well, to my life, like this is <laughs> yeah. like I, I used to teach workshops on on this method uh, that were around twelve hours long for the workshop, and I would say six to eight hours of those workshops were dealing with the user interface, hmm. were just computer skills, and it's yeah. like we're trying to learn languages here, and and like two thirds of this workshop were computer skills. Hmm. And all of that is unnecessary. And it's, I've known that since before the book came out. It's been since I was doing these workshops. It's like I, I'm watching these people struggle with this extremely hard to use, extremely wonderful, flexible program that is still too hard to use for many of these people. Yeah. Um, and that's been hard to watch. Like I, I've watched, for instance, my mother who wants to learn Hungarian look at my stuff and be like, well, that's not for me and just go back off. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's been clear from the start, like this could be better. Um, and it's not that that Anki is flawed in what it does. Anki is is designed to be so flexible you can do anything in it. I, I mean, I learned how to write with Anki. I learned English style with Anki. Like you can do anything with Anki. But uh, when you are restricting yourself to languages, then basically you have only one content type. You have sentences. Like all languages are composed of sentences. And so if you know what your content type is, if you know that you're, that's the only thing you're really memorizing then you can make an app that takes care of everything. I mean, where the only thing it does is asks you for your choices. You know, which image do you want for white? Which image do you want for, you know, the cat is in the box? You know, which which image do you want for in? Uh-huh. Um, and just automatically spits out tons and tons of flashcards based on sentences, automatically gives you sentences to learn that seem interesting, gives you the ability to put in your own sentences uh, as you wish and, and customize your language learning experience, but still knock out all that busy work of, of needing to like, like in Anki right now, I have to literally select the word I want to learn, uh, type underscore underscore to make a blank, like paste it in the next box. Like yeah. all of these, these steps are, are, are silly in some sense yeah, uh, because they can all be automated. And so this, the goal of this app is make something that you can use on your cell phone where you can just browse through a language and be like, I like this word, bink. Here's some sentences, bink. I like, I like this picture, dink. Do you want any more words in that sentence? Okay, dink. More pictures, dink. Here you have 20 flashcards. So like, you're, you're, you're literally taking out all of the dead wood from the creation process, uh, from yes. the flashcard creation process. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that sounds really exciting, man. And so Kickstarter is something that I've, uh, I've never really been involved in, but I, I've, I've seen, I've, I have... I have bought some things from Kickstarter before, and to check my understanding of it, it is, Kickstarter is essentially where you say to people, "Hey, this is what I want to do. Uh, this is what I want to make, but I don't have the money for it. So right. come and uh, support the project if you believe in it. And if we raise enough money, then you will get all this stuff to thank you for supporting it." Is that yes. accurate, or have I missed? That's totally part of accurate. Yes. Um, the yeah. Basically, you are um, you are sort of pre-ordering things, and you are sort of just saying, "I pledge my support, and I know that I will get a reward for this support." Um, the other sort of key ingredient of Kickstarter, as opposed to other 
crowdfunding platforms is that it's an all or nothing system where you basically say, hey, if I don't make this much money, there's not enough to make this app. So there's no risk here. Like basically, if we don't make enough money to make the app and you get your cool things, then you won't be charged. I won't get any money and we'll just sort of not make this app. And we can talk about maybe, re, you know, trying again in the future. Um, so Which is actually this, quite a cool. All or nothing thing is nice. It's actually quite a cool system, right? Because then, if it, if people yeah. don't support it, then you, that actually tells you, well, actually, maybe this is not something that exactly that people want in the first yeah. place. Cool. So that was a big question from the start. Was like, I want it. I don't know how much you all want it. So this is the test. It's like, do you well, want it this much? Like, let's find out. Let, well, let's find out. So when is the deadline, and where do people go if they are interested in supporting the the project? Cool. Um, the deadline is September 19th. Uh, the dead, that's not the deadline. The start is September 19th at 4 p.m. UK time. Um, it is a 30-day project, so I believe it ends on the 18th of October. <laughs> uh, the probably easiest way to get to it is to go to kickstarter.fluent-forever.com. We'll have a redirect that just gets you to wherever you need to be. Right now, if you go to kickstarter.fluent, uh, .fluent-forever.com, it'll, it'll send you to our preview page. Um, that preview page will ha like allow you to sign up on a mailing list. Those people who are on that mailing list, uh, we, we're basically doing a whole bunch of giveaways right now. Um, apparently, Kickstarters are all about the first hour. Like, if you can raise the maximum amount of money in the first hour, it will just jump on the front page and then earn an insane amount of money. Um, and so, uh, basically, we're, we're telling everyone that on the mailing lists that uh, if you if you do this in the first hour, we're giving you free months of access to this app. Um, so the, and just the, free stuff. the calendar reminder to set on your phone is September the 19th at 4 p.m. UK time, which is probably Eastern, uh, what's that going to be, 12 p.m. midday Eastern Standard Time, 9 a.m. I think it's 10, I think it might be 10 uh, Eastern. We'll check this and we'll put it, we'll put it in yes. the, uh, we'll put it in the, in the show notes. Um, and uh, which I'll, I'll mention at the end of the episode or in the description for those of you watching on YouTube. So, well, man, I, uh, I think it's a fantastic idea. I can't wait to try it out. Uh, wish you the best of luck with it. For those Thank people you. who would like to um, find you elsewhere, your website's fluent-forever.com. Yes. Social media, where should people go? Um, there is a fluent underscore forever Twitter. There's a fluent forever tips Instagram. All this stuff is sort of available from like the website's kind of the way to start. That'll that'll send you everywhere else so you need to go. Go to fluent forever.com and uh, follow the links from there. Cool, man. Well, I, I've really enjoyed this chat. I I feel like um, there are at least ten different areas that I uh, we could have uh, we could have jumped on and um, gone down. Sure. We we'll have to uh, we'll have to do a repeat at some point and see if we can get into some of those areas in more detail. But, we'll be happy to. Uh, but thanks very much for the chat and, um, and talk to you very soon. Yeah. And best of luck with the Kickstarter. Thank you. Okay. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It's great to chat with Gabe and to hear about all the things that he's up to. Now, very important. If you would like to check out this very exciting Kickstarter project that he has for this new app and to even potentially support what he's doing, then the link you need is going to be in the show notes. So you will need to go to IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com forward slash episode 213. That's IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com forward slash episode 213. And there's a section there in the show notes called uh, Kickstarter. What's it called? Kickstarter details. And there's a link there that you can click and that will take you to the Kickstarter page where there's a video explaining everything and you can support it. Remember the kickoff 
date and time is September 19th at 11 a.m. Eastern, and that's 4 p.m. UK time. So uh, that will be the date to mark in your calendar. And it's uh, apparently it's very, very helpful if you do want to get involved to actually do so at that time because it's that, that big first hour, which apparently in Kickstarter were in the Kickstarter universe is uh, what makes all the difference. All right. So once again, that's I will teach you a language.com forward slash episode 213. That is also the place to leave any comments or questions that you'd like on the show. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you back in the next episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. You know, one of the questions I get asked most often about language learning is how to improve your memory. Because things get so much easier when you learn new words and you don't forget them later in conversation when you really need them. So what I decided to do was to put together a, a, a short email course. It's a three-part email course over three days that teaches you my favorite techniques for memorizing vocabulary and actually putting that vocabulary into your long-term memory. It's a short course, three days, it's completely free, and if you'd like to sign up for it, please go to IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash free memory course.